Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I always have the pleasure each week to be alongside Nicole Cleggett, representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm okay, but I, I would be lying if I didn't say I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed this week. Well, you have a lot going on in your world, and uh, I'm sure with a uh, uh, a garden to attend to and <laughs> young ones running around ready to get back to virtual school. It's, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. Yeah, but we had the hurricane. So we had five inches of rain. So I was happy when I went out to my garden to not see floating watermelon. So that was, that was a good sign. Nice. That was a good sign. So that, that was okay. But yeah, you know, my, my daughter started back at dance class, which was very strange and different. Dancing with masks is, is, is a very different experience. And then, yeah, they start school actually next week. They go to a charter school. So... Um, yeah, just kind of getting all of the virtual stuff rolling and all of the glitches and, you know, the barrage of emails from the teachers. It's definitely crazy. And I, and I know, you know, then we've got you know people listening to the show today that are dealing with that. And then they also have, you know, an aging loved one at home. So, I mean, I, d- I don't have that piece in my life currently at the time, at this time, but I can only imagine what it's like for family caregivers right now with all of these changes going on in our lives and getting used to the new normal, as they call it. And, and trying to provide the best care they can for a loved one. It's a challenge, and each week we try and help out those folks with some information, hopefully, that they will deem useful. And we're going to be spending this portion of the show talking about orchestrating the downsizing process. This is something that a lot of people are interested in, and to have a thorough conversation on this. We've brought in Danielle Weeks. She is a broker and owner of Next Home Turnkey Realty. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So nice to talk to you, Danielle. I think you and I have known each other for over a decade now. I don't want to age us too much, but I've always been uh, <laughs> I've always been super impressed with everything that you do. You seem to do so incredibly well. I knew you back in the days when you were nursing home and rehab facility administrator and always did a fabulous job at whatever you touched and love the fact that you are still keeping your hand in the older adult community with your um, real estate agency. Yeah, I think it's been kind of a natural transition for me, um, just based on my experience working with seniors and also the relationships that I've developed with people in the industry. You know, I already have that trust and that rapport with people and, um, you know, they trust me to take care of, of their clients. So I know, uh, you know, a big question that people have, and, and, I, and I hear it all of the time is, you know, when do I make that move? And then, you know, you know and then, gosh, what is this going to entail? I, it can be so incredibly overwhelming when you are asking a loved one or trying to orchestrate a loved one to leave a home that they've been in for 20, 30 years. And I can only imagine sometimes when you step into these homes, it might be like stepping into a time capsule. 
It really is. I think the key is you've got to have somebody that can kind of take the lead. And I compare it to, you know, I picked the word orchestrate for a reason because I really view my role as the conductor of an orchestra. There are so many moving parts and pieces. You know, when I walk into these situations, I'm brought in at various different stages. And somebody really has to take the lead and figure out what needs to happen in order to get this client from this home to the next, you know, safely and efficiently, um, while also protecting their probably their biggest financial asset, their home. So what are some of the biggest sort of places of um, anxiety for that family member when they bring somebody like you in? I mean, what what are some of the common things that people are kind of not sure of what, what to do next? You know, they, they, ha- they have you walk in and they ha- I sort of have this bewildered face. I know my husband years ago, uh, when he started caregiving for his dad, he hadn't been in his dad's home in, in quite some time. And, you know, they always just sort of met at other places or met halfway because they lived far apart. And he was just literally, I think the, the phrase is mind blown when he walked into his dad's home and was completely overwhelmed with what to tackle first. So what are some of the things that you find when you, when you walk into homes? Um, yeah, I mean, people just don't know where to start. And it really um, takes someone like myself or another professional to lay out a plan and to take charge and, and say, this is what needs to happen. And like I said before, I'm brought in at different stages. Sometimes the individual already knows where they're going. And it's just a matter of, you know, bringing in a senior move manager to, to get the moving process started. But sometimes they haven't even selected where they're going. And that's such another critical part of the process. And so I really rely on my um, care placement um, contacts to help them find the best place for them to go financially and for whatever, you know, health support services they may need. You know, like I said, there's just so many different moving parts and it's a lot of problem solving. But I think the most important thing is they just they just want to know that somebody can come in and kind of lay out, here's the plan, this is the first step, this is the second step, and kind of take the lead and lead them through this process. And, you know, it's it's kind of incredible to just see the the relief. Like you can just see them take a breath after I'm done meeting with them. Like, you know, it's going to be okay. Like, we've got this under control. I've personally moved several times in my life. I'm sure a lot of the listeners have as well. And I, I have always found one of the most stressful parts is actually always feeling like you have to keep your house as neat as a pin uh, for because you just never know when you're going to get that next phone call when there's another showing. And so do you find that it's easier to sell the home after the person has moved when they're an older adult? Or yeah, and I know some people don't have the luxury of doing that. But you know, what if somebody had the choice, what's the best way to handle that piece? Yeah, and it depends on the client. And so most of the time, I would prefer Let's get the client to where they're going, figure out what they're taking with them, and then the senior move management company can get in, clear the house out, and then I can do what I need to do to get the home prep for the market. You know, this way we don't, we're not worrying about staging details. We're not worried about um, their privacy and, and being, you know, having these intrusive showings, especially during a worldwide pandemic. Um, so I would prefer to go ahead and get them moved. But I have worked in other situations where they don't have that luxury. They need the money from the house in order to make that move. And so I usually work in tandem with the move management company, essentially give them a checklist 
per room of this is what I want the room to look like. And they're having to pack things up anyways, and they just use a, a garage or an offsite storage unit to pack anything excess um, so that we can kind of declutter and depersonalize the house and get it ready for the photography and, and for the market. So for those listening and they may have an aging loved one in their home right now and they might start to have that sort of gut feeling that it may be time to change a living situation what are some of the things that people should be looking out for as a sign that it may be time to assist your loved one to the next level of care um definitely you know if the home is two-story i start to see actually just met with a lady this week who has a two-story home and she has now converted her dining room on the first floor as a bedroom she's not, not able to use the stairs anymore so obviously when someone is starting to have some physical challenges we need to look at one floor living or a more uh, you know supportive environment um when home maintenance becomes overwhelming, I see this a lot too. A lot of deferred maintenance, especially if they have lost a spouse or the children aren't here local to help them keep up with maintaining a home. I mean, it is a lot of work, as you know, living on a farm. Um, <laughs> but just living in a standard single-family home, it's a lot of maintenance to keep up with. And they let things go, and they just aren't able to keep up with them. And um, those are like the two major things I would say need to start looking at, you know, alternative living situations. And how would you recommend people have that conversation with their family member? It's really hard as an adult child to talk to your adult parent, who's always your mommy and daddy, right? Uh, about, you know, oh, mom, dad, I just don't think you're, you're making it here anymore. Well, definitely, I suggest sooner than later. This is a process. It was not uncommon when I was an executive director at an independent living facility. We would have folks come and tour, and then it would be years later before they actually moved because it really is an overwhelming process. It's an emotional decision. And so what we don't want to see happen is this decision be forced upon someone or be forced in a crisis situation, you know, after a hospitalization. So... I would say if you're starting to see early signs, go ahead and, and start to have those conversations with your loved one. You know, they need to, they need to be bought into the process, um, you know, start to, to, to figure out where they would like to go, what are their options so that um, it can be more of a relaxed process. I know that doesn't always happen, but that it would be the preferred approach. Danielle, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you for coming on the show and remind everyone that they can find more information about Next Home Turnkey Realty at www.nexthometurnkey.com. Next Home Turnkey. Dot com And Nicole, we wanted to thank you and uh, Next Home Turnkey Realty for sponsoring the Caregiver Summit. We're really excited for everything that's going on this year, and we appreciate your support. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk 
traffic. Don't forget, you can always find more information about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong and Nicole Cleggett here with you, and we're going to shift focus here just slightly and discuss how home health care is a great alternative for a lot of folks. And to do that, we've brought in Tara Dustemer. She is a patient advocate with Intrepid USA Healthcare Services. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I, I love this topic. I, I always lo- love talking about community-based care options. I think a lot of times when people are in a caregiving situation, they find themselves making the quick assumption that the only option they have is placing a loved one in a skilled nursing facility when care needs increase. But the reality of it is, is that there is a whole host of different resources that can be provided in the home to hopefully help that person age in place longer. So shed some light on uh, for us. Tara, about the um, different ways that home health care can really assist an older adult to stay placed at home? Well, home health care um, has different medical services that we deliver in the comfort of the patient's home. They don't have to go out to a medical facility, especially during the pandemic. Um, We cover illnesses, injury, a medical procedure, or we can manage a chronic illness. And we have a team of licensed nurses, therapists, and home health aides who are designed to help them stay home and get the best possible outcome and, re- outcome and regain their independence. So home health care is one of the few options that are available for individuals in the home that actually is part of the Medicare benefit, correct? Correct. So talk to us about what would qualify somebody to have home health care in their home. So someone who has a wound or a surgical wound that needs caring for, a patient who has a IV or a feeding tube, injections, um, someone who is homebound, which means they cannot leave their homes. It's a taxing effort for them to leave their homes to go out. So they need their care inside their home. And that's what we do. We bring in the physical therapist, speech therapist, skilled nursing, home health aides, social work to help patients regain their strength at home. So in order for a person to actually receive the Medicare benefit, do they need to have some sort of what is known in in the industry as as a qualifying event, such as a recent hospitalization or a fall? Or what are some of the other, I guess, less known events that can actually qualify for a person? Because I love the idea of being proactive versus crisis driven. You know, if we're starting to notice a person going down a slippery slope, what can we do now to help them not actually have that crisis? Are there are there things like that that exist that can that can actually have home health come in to really help a person before they have that major accident? It, it, there is, and we can call the patient's primary care physician and talk to them and get what's called a home health care order, and then we can set up for the uh, clinicians to come into the house before anything major happens to the patient that might send them to a hospital or a skilled nursing facility. So I think that uh, a lot of people get confused with home health care. A lot of times they feel like this is the type of service that provides 24-7 care. And I know, you know, when we sometimes talk with in-home private duty home care agencies, a lot of times families call them and are absolutely adamant that Medicare will pay for 24-7 in-home care. And that's simply just not the case, correct? Correct. 
what ho- the difference between home health care and home care is for home health care, there's a skilled need, like a wound care, IV, monitoring a serious illness or an unstable health status. So my understanding is, you know, typically with the Medicare benefit, you know, whether or not you're doing rehab in the home or in in a long-term care community or acute care facility, it's all about restoring a person. So once a person is restored or gets to a place where they're not making any more physical gains, then that is when that individual would no longer receive that type of service and they would move to what's known as more of a custodial type service, which is where a lot of times you have your private duty and home care companies coming on or maybe sometimes placements into long-term care facilities where a person's not going to continue to make gains. So they just really need more maintenance therapy or maintenance uh, care to kind of keep them at the level that they're at. Is, is that correct? That's, that's correct. So Tara, do so you have... Our ha- goal is to get them to that point. Do you have a, a story of a particular situation just to help color for people listening today uh, about a situation that you may have faced in, in your work that has been a great success story, illustrates really how home health can help a person who's living in the home? So I actually have a personal story. Um, my mother-in-law lives in Pennsylvania, and Intrepid is a national company. We are in 18 states, um, and she had shoulder surgery during the pandemic. And she was terrified about going out to get physical therapy. And I was sitting in my living room and I heard my husband talking to her and I was like, wait a minute, I can, we can provide the nursing care for her surgical site and the PT for her at home. She won't have to go out. So I called uh, over to our Pennsylvania care center and they went out to see her and she got the care she needed in her house without having to go out because she had COPD, she has uh, CHF, so she had underlying health issues. So she could not, she was homebound. She couldn't go out. And she recovered fully. And she actually had the therapist over for dinner to thank them. Yeah, I think that's great, you know, um, and that, that is one of the, I think, the hidden costs of the COVID-19 pandemic is a lot of people are choosing not to receive care because they are so scared of succumbing to the virus, being that they're in the vulnerable population. So having home health as an option of having someone come to you versus you having to go out to a different place uh, definitely, I think, is is a value, and I think people should think about that. Um, and, and I know, you know, you can't completely eliminate all of the risks with the COVID-19 virus, but certainly, you know, decreasing your exposure by having limited contact in your home is, you know, something that's a cost-benefit analysis that every individual needs to make for themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we are finding finding that patients aren't going out to get their care they need, that they are afraid to go out. So we're here to help them get the care they need inside their home where they feel safe. And we do screen our clinicians every morning. They have to do what's called cat cloud. They have to check in and check in any symptoms they may have or may not have. And then we also screen our patients before we go out. And I am proud to say that Intrepid has a zero transmission rate for COVID, which means that our patients have had COVID, have fully recovered, and we haven't seen any more cases. That's got to be comforting for folks to know. She is Tara Dustemer, the patient advocate with Intrepid USA Healthcare Services. Tara, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. 
Well, Nicole, here we got some more time left in this segment. Uh, I thought it would be a wonderful time to bring up the Caregiver Summits. Uh, well, it's the virtual summits this year as we're uh, making sure that we're staying safe. And we announced this on the show last week. And since then, uh, boy, registrations Holy really picking cow. up. Wow, yeah. Last I checked, we had over 225 family caregivers that have registered to attend already That's this amazing. year. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I can't remember. Maybe you'll remember. You're probably a better movie buff than I am. But if you build it, they will come. That's right. I think uh, I think we're experiencing that. So that is just so incredibly heartening. And we have really been putting our hearts and souls and so much time and energy into planning an amazing virtual event for our family caregivers with over 22 educational sessions and over four dozen exhibitors and resources that are going to be right there at the fingertips of the family caregivers. If they have any questions about different services, they're going to be able to ask. And we are able to provide all of this to all of you at no charge this year. We were able to receive some funding from uh, resources for seniors who really wanted to help us move forward with planning a virtual event because this is certainly not without cost for us. And so we are incredibly grateful to them to be our underwriting sponsor along with AARP and Clarity Legal Group and Senior Wisdom Care. Without them and all of our sponsors, we would not be able to make this happen. So definitely for those who are interested, you can certainly hop on over to caregiverssummit.org, caregiverssummit.org and register. Uh, we will um, we have registration open now, but just a little information. Um, we are finalizing our agenda for the day. And, you know, we always try to really look at you know, what family caregivers really enjoy participating in from a year in, year out basis. And then also we really look closely at our evaluations and we listen to what people say they want to know more about that we didn't offer. So that's really how we work on building our agenda every year, Jason, is we really take the, take the comments from the families who attended the previous year. So some of the things uh, that we try to focus on are, are generally fall along three different tracks. It's usually some things are more disease, chronic illness focus. We also focus on things that are more about the business of caregiving, the nuts and bolts, the legal, the financial aspects of how to be a family caregiver. And then we do focus some of our time also on how to care for yourself as that family caregiver. So um, we always have huge, great response to our legal uh, sessions that we provide. And so this year, we're doing a number of those again. And, you know, one comment that families often wonder about or our question that they have have to do with trusts. So we do have an entire session on, you know, trusts and, and what they do and how they can make a dis- difference when families are doing their estate planning. We also know that driving is a huge issue. Um, and, you know, how do we help a family member realize it's time to hang up those car keys. And so we have a whole conversation about the driving aspect of, of for that family caregiver. And then also, you know, if you're not quite in that range of, you know, an older adult just yet, but you want to really understand what you need to do to plan for retirement, we also have a session on that. And of course, given that it is a virtual caregiver summit, we're going to talk about technology and the technology that you can utilize as a family caregiver to really help 
you're monitoring and caregiving for a loved one who may not live with you, maybe at a little distance or a long distance as, as well. You know, what, what, what are some of the things that we can put into place? And I will say, since COVID-19 came upon us, technology is just exploding and we're seeing new iterations of programs and platforms that probably would have taken several months or even years to get to the level that they're at now. They're really exploding for us. And so there's some great options there as well. Well, I can see why 200 people registered in the first week because the the slate there is amazing and it's to me it's just uh, flooring that this is all available for free. All you have to do is register online caregiversummit.org. That's the website caregiversummit.org. You can also find a link if you go to the aging matters section of WPTF. A quick break and back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're welcoming in a, a longtime friend of the program. He's been on the show many times as we're going to have a conversation about hospice care. And to do that, we've brought in Mark Philbrick. He's the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. So glad to have you here today, Mark. I so appreciate working with you and just the spirit of which you um provide education to folks in the community. I think it's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for being you. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that I think, um, you know, throughout the entire country, we really have, generally speaking, a nursing shortage. And I think a lot of times when people are going to school to become a nurse, and gosh, this area has many, many schools of nursing, um, a lot of time is really not spent on hospice care. And, and a lot of people, when they think about becoming a nurse, think about you know working in the OR or, or things of that nature or maybe in a doctor's office. But I don't think people give a lot of thought to sort of the role of nursing in um, end-of-life care and really what some of the rewards are in, in, in going into this field as a career. So I thought, you know, you could potentially shed some light on that and, and, and talk to us a little bit about some of the myths and myth, misconceptions related to hospice nursing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is um, really important. I um, Even in my own career path, in June it will be 45 years I've celebrated being a registered nurse and like many nurses, I just started my nursing career in working in a hospital mm -hmm. when I was 20 years old. And I did do operating room nursing mm -hmm. and psychiatric nursing and other career paths. And it wasn't until 30 years into my nursing career that I discovered, or better, hospice discovered me when um, my dad and my brother both got cancer at the same time. And I needed the services in my own family. So there are approximately 2.8 million nurses in the United States and less than 5% of those work in the area of home health and hospice. So um, it is a, a big specialty. Mm -hmm. About 1.4 million people a year die in our country um, in hospice. And so 
there's a big need for this and it is not typically or didn't used to be typically part of a nursing curriculum. Um, I serve as adjunct faculty at the School of Nursing at UNC Chapel Hill and every semester now I do do lectures on end of life. So they have incorporated some of this into nursing school and we actually do have nursing students six a semester come and rotate through our hospice facility to get a better understanding of what hospice is all about. And uh, more and more nurses in school, as they understand this, see this as a viable specialty um, in their future. So what do you think some of the misgivings are about entering this as a career? Is it viewed as, you know, just you're less than a nurse if you're in hospice nursing? Or, I mean, why do you think, you know, folks generally shy away from doing this at the beginning of their careers? Well, I think... A lot of folks, when initially asked what they think when they think about hospice, they think, oh my gosh, that must be so sad and depressing, Hmm. working with people who die all the time. Um, And the reality is that we are working with patients and families at an incredibly important part of their life journey. Hmm. And there's much joy and happiness and fulfillment in it. I think another misconception is that uh, some people conceive of a hospice nurse as like Florence Nightingale sitting at the bedside holding a hand weeping next to a patient who's dying, Mm -hmm. and that's so far from the truth. It is very interactive. It's very demanding. It takes the full scope of nursing knowledge and experience. And I think the other uh, misconception is that um, a lot of nurses think that other aspects of nursing early in their career are much more challenging as far as going into like emergency nursing or intensive care nursing. Um, And many of the people that we recruit into hospice are those nurses who've experienced death not done well in hospitals and find hospice is a a really rewarding experience to help families make this end-of-life journey the best it can be. So what do you find that some of the challenges are for a hospice nurse, um, you know, for, for people even just entering it? You know, when people are sort of switching gears, what are some of the things that folks maybe get surprised about? Um, I think the challenges is that hospice nursing requires the full range of the skills that you're trained as a nurse. Mm-hmm. The physical care of patients, because the patients we work with are extremely complex. Very few people just die of one thing. They have multiple uh, system failures going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's many medications, but then the emotional challenges of dealing with families in distress, um, helping navigate the fear of the unknown with these families. So it is really challenging uh, to really use um, the full set of skills you have. Um, Also, working at people at end of life, we see that it brings out the best in some families and the worst than others. So walking into a situation, the nurses have to be prepared emotionally to deal with the emotions that are coming at them. Um, Because rarely is a family prepared for the death of a loved one. Mm. Even if the person has been suffering for years, they're still not ready. The other challenge that we face is about a third of the patients a hospice nurse cares for will be dead in less than a week and a third less than a month. So there's much that has to be done, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, 
in a very short period of time. And the paperwork and so side of it all, too. A lot of paperwork. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, um, it's challenging in many ways, but it is also incredibly rewarding in others. And I think, you know, for those who aren't working necessarily, because there are very few inpatient hospice homes, there's also mm-hmm. a transition, I would say, working in, you know, a building, you know, a hospital setting or, or a doctor's office, and then really just becoming a road warrior with intermittent team meetings, correct? Absolutely. One of the biggest challenges we have in recruiting nurses who are used to working like in intensive care settings or in a very structured hospital setting is um, they are on the road, so they just have logistical challenges of going from place to place. The other part of that is they have to think on their feet. They can't always, you know, in a hospital, you're literally a phone call or just walking down the hall to find a medical resident or somebody who can assist, you know, answering questions. Um, so that's a challenging part of it. The other is um, you're in charge of your own schedule. So a hospice nurse could see anywhere from six patients a day, but they're in the middle of caring for one patient and all of a sudden there's some crisis that comes up somewhere else that they've got to deal with. or it could be the family they're with has lots of questions and it's not like you schedule in an ICU where you're doing vital signs every 15 minutes. Each situation requires um, different amounts of time and it's hard to anticipate. Or it could be that they had plans to visit five people and one of the patients died last night and they've got a new patient that they've got to meet for the first time. So it's that constant thinking on your feet Mm-hmm. You have to be very, Which very is, pliable um, for sure. So when we get back from the break, what I would really love to dive into a little bit more is really the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic, from what I've seen, has really brought up a national discussion about death and dying. And perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, this may be a time when a lot of nurses even more so are getting exposed to that and may think about perhaps transitioning to a career in hospice and end-of-life type nursing. Mm -hmm. We'll cover that with our guest, Mark Philbrick. He is the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care right after these messages. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett on the line. We have Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. You can find more information about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. And Nicole, uh, you know, we often talk about uh, the need and the, uh, I, it's difficult to talk about death and dying, mm-hmm. but um, I guess one of the, <laughs> the few bright sides of COVID-19 is that it gives us a really easy way to start those conversations. Yeah. I mean, I've been hearing more and more just general people talking about, you know, wow, you know, all the hospitals are talking about putting people on ventilators and needing more ventilators and 
what in the world is a ventilator and what does that mean? And if I got this virus, would I want to be on a ventilator? So it's really just almost normalizing some of that conversation that has been, frankly, quite taboo. Um, and so I think, you know, if, if anything, that's really given family members a door opener to get some insight into what a loved one may or may not want when it comes to uh, end-of-life care and end-of-life wishes. Would you agree that you've been sort of hearing more of those conversations, Mark? Yes, absolutely. There's um, a lot of fear, a lot of concern, and a lot of needed education about this whole topic. So I'm, I suspect, you know, especially in the areas where there are hot spots, and thankfully, you know, this area is not one of them, there have been a lot of nurses that have been exposed, or even nurses from this area deployed to areas where there are hot spots, to a lot more death and dying than, um, you know, they would have otherwise. And I think it's probably going to open up a lot of questions for folks as they're coming off of this time and sort of debriefing and going through just the thinking through versus the day in day out mantra of just doing the, the hard work of, you know, what does this mean for me as a professional? What do I want to do with the future of my career? I know a lot of people, unfortunately, and sadly, and even in this area, because of the virus, you know, they can't have loved ones if they're in a hospital on a ventilator. So, so we're finding that, um, you know, people who would not normally have to literally be sitting there at the bedside are now doing that to really try to support those individuals who are experiencing some confusion uh, related to oxygen level changes and things of that nature. And so I think people are, just because of the virus, becoming exposed to what it might be like to support someone at end of life. Yes, definitely. Um, In the hospice arena, we have about 40% of the patients we care for are in skilled assisted living facilities or nursing homes. So we have staff on our hospice team that go into these nursing homes, many of which have uh, COVID positive patients. And virtually every patient we care for in hospice is already uh, physically compromised. So they're very high risk. Um, And uh, so our team is protecting themselves, protecting the patients and protecting the families as they, they provide their care. Um, so I do think, especially I've seen and read hospice nurses and intensive care nurses who are very much struggling with um, the emotional impact of dealing with patients who are dying, especially since families are restricted from being present. And it does take an emotional toll. And a lot of what we do with our hospice nurses and our training process is help them deal with their own feelings of death and their own mortality and dealing with handling what grief and losses they've had in their own life so they are more prepared to process that in the lives of those they care for. Well, and frankly, you know, just in society as a whole right now, um, you know, I think what people are experiencing is what's known as cumulative grief, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. we are all just, you know, there are little things and they may seem like not a big deal why are you even complaining about it but you know things like you know not being able to see your colleagues every day losing a paycheck perhaps you've lost a loved one during this time and you couldn't have a funeral the way you would normally have had children having to support children who can't go to school who wonder why they can't be with their friends trying to explain a virus to a three-year-old you know not being able to visit a parent in a long-term care community and so all of these little griefs and losses that we're experiencing don't have to be literal death and dying 
losses, but they're all building up for folks. And I think there's just a general sense of folks are really starting to get tired. They just, people just want to feel like there's something that they can count on that they have control over that feels normal in their lives. And so then put on top of that healthcare workers who are being faced with the virus day in and day out, I can only imagine uh, the types of supports that administration is having to provide for folks that are truly on the front lines of fighting this disease. That's a really good point. I think when most people think of grief, they think of those who've lost somebody close to them. But grief is a natural response to any type of loss. Mm-hmm. You know, loss of income, loss of relationships, loss, as you mentioned, of our what we think is a normal existence that can be turned upside down, uh, particularly in the situation we're in now. And that those losses and the grief that results from that cause both physical symptoms in people, um, emotional, spiritual sense of loss and disconnection. So it is really important that self-care be emphasized. And we're doing that with our staff, um, sending out encouraging um, communications. Our spiritual care counselors are sending out readings and poems and things that sort of keep us centered and um, focused on the bigger picture of what we're about and what we do. Um, And then really encouraging self-care, going out on walks, um, FaceTiming or Zoom meeting with colleagues and friends and family, all of those just keep us connected the best we can uh, during the challenges that we're facing right now. And trying, and trying to find some humor. I mean, there's so much going around that is so, so heavy. And it is heavy. I mean, my gosh, it feels like the weight of the world, truly. Um, but, you know, just trying to find, as Irma Bombeck would say, some of the some bless in the mess. Um, and just, you know, just trying to find some of those small moments of joy, even if there's just one thing out of the day that you found simple joy. And I, last night, my daughter was we built a fire outside. She was begging to do this for weeks and finally got around to building a fire outside. She was just as happy as she could be. And she sat on my lap and she said, Mommy, I don't care. And she's seven. When I'm 13 years old, I'm still going to sit on your lap. And I don't care if everybody teases me because I'm always going to love you like this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that is so sweet. I could just bottle up the joy. Meanwhile, I'm looking across the fire pit at my 13-year-old who thinks I'm the most unfair and like evil person in the world. So <laughs> I hope she keeps that light. But, you know, just, you know, even if you just had a really rough day and just trying to find some glimmer of uh, of something, you know, whether it was a, a text somebody sent you or a phone call, some sort of a connection, something beautiful you can, you can see outside in nature. I think those are all, you know, positive things that we can hold on to and realize that they're true and they're real. And yes, this world is flipped upside down, but there are still moments of joy in, in some of the very, very simple things in life, even the fact that we have breath. Absolutely. And uh, it your story just reminded me of what Mark Twain said. When he was 14, he was appalled at his father's ignorance. And when he turned 21, he was amazed at how much his father had learned in just seven years. So, um, <laughs> That's awesome. I really do appreciate it. We, uh, we do try to share jokes and, and try to keep it light. I think a good one I heard the other day was that they're now going to require everybody wear masks inside their homes. And it's not to protect them from COVID, but from 
eating too much. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Mark. I definitely love that. I love love the spirit in which you bring to everything that you do and all that you're doing behind the scenes, working in education at Transitions Life Care to keep everybody feeling uplifted. And, and hopefully we've inspired some people just to think a little bit differently about perhaps what they want to do and realize that Think about who's working today, who are known as the essential workers, because you high school seniors, those are the jobs you want to get. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mark Philbrick, Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. Thanks again for joining us this evening. It's my pleasure. You can find more information about the many services that Transitions Life Care provides by going online to transitionslifecare.org. Transitions Life Care. We're out of time for tonight. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care, on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.